Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So one of the, the pieces that I wanted to just make sure is understood uh, in regards to live scan and why we do that. Um, child safety is a critical component of the church. It, it is so critical because it is an opportunity for us to shine, but it is also an opportunity for us to stumble so hardly, so in such a, a terrible, terrible way. And so we eliminate the question by, by having this process in place. We eliminate the concern as best we can uh, by having this in place so that we can know for a fact that, that children are safe when they're here in this building, that they're receiving instruction, that they are, are being shown the love of Christ. Because that's what, what our goal is here. And so sometimes I know it's, it's one of those things where, well, Matt, you know who I am. You've known me for like 20 years. I'm having my mother do this. Okay? <laughs> so this is, this is something where it doesn't matter how well I know you. It doesn't matter how long you've been at going to this church. I'm doing it myself. Everybody that is involved with children is going to go through this process. And, and if there's a concern or there's you know, an issue that you have, that come see me. But I need you all to know that this is not something that we take lightly. This is something that we, we look at as a, a very important uh, process in making sure that we're keeping children safe. And it's not just Wood Street Chapel, but Foursquare in general says that this is what we need to do. So um, very pleased that we're able to move in this direction, that we're able to see some improvement in uh, how this is taking place. So overall, it's going to be good. All right, so we are approaching Easter Sunday. And it makes sense that, that as we approach Easter Sunday, that uh, we actually come to the close of our study on the life of David this morning. And as we were just kind of working through this study on the life of David, who could have made up what we saw as we, we came through these weeks. How, how could that have been something that was just, you know, from someone's imagination that, hey, here's a, a king who's going to kill a giant who's going to then uh, go through and, and flee after being anointed king and sleep in caves for, for however many months or years and be pursued by the existing king. And, and we just follow this life that is amazing. The, the shepherd who becomes king as he's moved from, from pasture to palace, from the, the throne to then a cave as his son is attempting to overthrow him. We've watched him fight these amazing battles where he is miraculously victorious. We've watched him walk down into the valley of Elah. We have watched him and cried out, no, stop as he commits adultery with Bathsheba. We've celebrated victory. We've, we've learned about great faith as even in the midst of exile, he, he rests. He rests 
because he knows that his security is in the Lord. And we mourn as, as we talked last week out how he is bringing his last words to his son. The piece for us to learn this morning, to look at this morning, it is, is not a story that ends in 1 Kings. For us to really truly understand the, the capstone of David's life, we have to look at the first chapter in Matthew. This first chapter in Matthew is going to be, uh, the, the passage that we're going to read from the first chapter of Matthew is very brief. It, it's very short, but it's very significant. And it's, it's the way that we understand how everything is being brought together, how everything is culminating in, in what we are about to read. When we first started this study, we, we talked about how the life of David was meant to, to be three things as we looked at, at the gospel. First, it was meant to be a, a light that shines, that brings clarity for us, helping us to, to understand the, the harsh realities of the world that we live in, the, the brokenness of the world that we live in. And you cannot read the story of David, you can't look at the life of David without truly understanding and recognizing that the world is a broken place. The world is hurting. You see brokenness in, in even in David's heart. He's not perfect. David sins, and one could even say that he sinned spectacularly. Hopefully you don't normally have that type of uh, reflection on your own life. But I'm sure if we look back, there probably are those moments where, yeah, that was a spectacular mistake. We see brokenness in his family. We see brokenness when his son turns against him and, and tries to kill him and commits adultery with, with his father's wives. We see political intrigue. We see deception. We see war. And it's easy to recognize the world that David lives in because that is the same world that we live in today. Those very same things exist in the world that we live in today. Not only is the, the life of David meant to be a light that shines, it's meant to be a mirror that we look into where we, we see ourselves with accuracy. David's struggle, David's hardships, those, those things are the things that exist in our life as well. We have hearts that sin. We are susceptible to temptation and it doesn't take much. It is so easy to have a, a heart that is full of praise one moment and then all of a sudden it changes to a heart of anger, a heart of, of selfishness, of pride. We can be serving one moment and, and cursing someone the next because we don't, we don't like the way that they are talking to us. We, they, they aren't giving us what we want. And finally, the life of David isn't just a, a light or a mirror, but it's also a finger that points. 
a finger that points again and again and again and again to the King Lord Jesus. Everything in the life of David points to him. It points to the need of him. Points to the hope that can only be found in him. If we look at the book of Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David. The son of Abraham. That's all. That's all we're going to look at today. This might be the shortest verse I have ever preached out of. (laughs) I'm going to even read it again. (laughs) The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David. The son of Abraham. This passage is significant and it's it's significant because of the content that we see here if we step back for a moment and and really think about what this says what do these words say why was it so important for Matthew to to make this particular point at the start of his of his gospel saying that Jesus Christ is the son of of David. The the first thing that these words do is they preach to us an unshakable plan and the purpose of a sovereign God. And doesn't that feel great to say that, that this sentence communicates the unshakable plan of a God who loves us, a God who cares for us. If you go further down in this this passage, you, you see these different names that exist. 41 generations from Abraham through David to the coming of Jesus. And as you look at these generations that are represented here in this gospel, you you start to notice something. How powerful must a God be to control everything that needs to take place throughout 41 generations to see his purposes come to pass? Every event, every location, every relationship, every decision, conversation, every word spoken did not come outside of the the control of our all-powerful, unshakable God. And all of this to guarantee that these 41 generations, that through these 41 generations, the Messiah would come. This is our God. Daniel says he rules over the hosts of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. No one can stop his hand or say to him, what have you done? Do you believe that God is in control? You know, it, it's a simple question, really. Do, do you believe that God is in control of the circumstances, the events, the situations that you find yourself, that, that make up 
your life? Do you believe that God is in control? All too regularly, we wonder how this physical issue that, that we're experiencing is going to work out. How is this financial issue going to work out? How is this relationship going to work out? Oh, let's get real for a moment. How is this housing change <laughs> going to work out? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, we're in the midst of selling our house and trying to find a house, and it is an adventure. How is this going to work out? We give ourselves to worry. We forget so easily that, that our Lord is, is that unshakable God. In Ephesians, it says, he rules over all things for the sake of his body, the church. He rules over all things. He rules over the physical problem that I have in my life. He rules over the financial issue that I'm facing. He rules over that broken relationship. He rules over some housing situation that I know is going to be worked out because my God is the unshakable God. This is our God. He is our friend. He is our father. He is our savior my security will never be in figuring something out. I'm never going to figure everything out. Life can be confusing. Here's the, the take-home message of the day. Deal with it. <laughs> Life is confusing, and, and that's the way it is. We don't get to know all of the answers. We, don't, we can cry out to God, and God is there with us in the midst of our hardships, but he doesn't always answer our questions. My security is not in my understanding. My security is in the person, Jesus Christ. Which leads us into the, the second point that these words show us. It's the reliability of God's promises. God made a promise to David, and we need to read what that promise is this morning. Because what we see here in the, the book of Matthew is God keeping his promises. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says, After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David that this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have dwelt in a house. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all of the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers to whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? 
Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture. I took you from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. And now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people. I will also give you rest from all of your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him, in a, but with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God does what he promises. Verse 16, there is, there is no equivocation that happens here. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. There is no question. There is no uncertainty. God's promises, we've heard it said before that God's promises are yes and amen. In Matthew 1, 1, the, that promise is being fulfilled that Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, born in Bethlehem of the house of David. And he has come to establish his kingdom forever. The reason that all of the promises that God makes to his children are reliable is because he is king he is Lord and he is sovereign. He rules over all of the conditions. He is the God over all of the conditions, all of the influences that could, could impact his promise and his word. That is the only way he could be sovereign is if he is in fact in control of everything. He must rule so that he can deliver what he has promised. There's a, a third point that we, we see from these words. It's the glory of the gospel. The, the splendor uh, of God's grace. If we, we think about the two men that are talked about here in verse one, we have Abraham and we have David. Both of these men were not 
untarnished. Both of these men had, had spectacular falls. Abraham, although he is called the, the father of the faithful in Scripture, he was a liar. He would, would speak with leaders and he would be dishonest when he felt he needed to save himself. When he was given a promise, he took that promise into his own hands and he forced his servant girl into a sexual relationship. They don't usually say it that way in the Old Testament, do they? But that's exactly what that was. David, the anointed king of Israel, the, the man who we have followed throughout the, this series, committed murder, committed adultery, did, did all of the things that we've talked about. And if you start looking through this genealogy that we see in the first chapter of Matthew, you come across name after name after name of broken, messed up people. We have Rahab the prostitute. What is the message that we see here? The message is that we serve a God who forgives. We serve a God who rescues, who accepts, who redeems broken situations. We see a message of the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. Our God is a God of grace. And our hope is not in our righteousness. Our, our hope is not in what we can do ourselves. Our hope is not in theological knowledge. It's not in, in how many times you read your Bible this week and, and how much time you spent in prayer. It's not in how many children's ministries programs you helped out in this month. Our hope, when we are 10,000, 10 million years into eternity, we will point to Jesus Christ as our only hope. You will never be too good for grace. The fourth point that we can receive from this single sentence in scripture is that we find a powerful argument for the reliability and the trustworthiness of the word of God. This isn't some self-help book. It's not some collection of legends and myths ways to, to improve your life, good sayings to live by. If that is truly all that the word of God is, then we are in so much trouble. If every promise, perspective, and principle of scripture, if, if everything that God says and God offers to you is not rooted in the specificity of, of exactly what is in the word of God, then it's not worth the pages that it's printed on. 
Our hope is not just rooted in a good idea. Our hope is rooted in historical acts of redemption. Something that happened. These historical figures that we see, David, Abraham, everyone else that we see listed in this genealogy, they are all historical figures. They were actual people called by God to actual situations, to actual locations, to live actual factual lives. And each of these lives points to an actual Messiah, an actual Savior whose feet touched this earth, who actually spoke and breathed and suffered and died and rose again. And that's why Matthew, who the, the whole point of Matthew's gospel is to argue for the kingdom of Jesus. He starts with, with this history, with this genealogy, because he wants the reader to know that these things that are going to be declared in this gospel are rooted in history, are rooted in fact. This is not just the God who has spoken. This is the God who has acted. The, the last thing that we see in this passage is the powerful argument for the identity of Jesus Christ. This Jesus of Nazareth who was born in a manger who made a, a trek because of the decree of some governor, born in a manger, the son of a carpenter, is in fact the promised king, the son of David, the Christ Emmanuel, the son of God. And again, we see this history of redemption There needed to be this perfect man who would come. But he needed to be fully God and fully man at the same time. That's what Matthew has to, to communicate. That's what he's, he's trying to make us understand this morning is that this is the God, man, Jesus Christ, the Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, the Messiah. And then these words confirm not only his identity, but now they confirm my identity as well. Because if I am in Christ, then I am an heir to the promises of Abraham. I am an heir to the promises that have been made to David. I have been welcomed into his kingdom, out of a kingdom of darkness. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that if Christianity doesn't, if Christianity doesn't have a forever, if Christianity isn't an internal kingdom, then we're all lost. 
but it does. <laughs> it does. There, there is an eternal kingdom because Jesus is the eternal king. He came like he promised, just like he keeps every other promise. He established his kingdom eternally, and he welcomes us through grace. Were you anxious this week? Were you fearful? Did your mind go to a what if or a if only? Were you proud? Were you proud of everything that you did this week? Proud of the words that you said? Proud of your attitudes? Proud of your thoughts, your motives, your desires? Were you proud of those things when you reached out for hope this week when you were broken, where did you reach? To a person? To a thing? Did you try to deny the difficulty that you found yourself in? Like, like a person who gets a bill in the mail and just puts it away and says, well, we don't need to worry about that right now. Is your life a picture of the humility, the, the courage and the hope that comes from what is displayed in these words that we've read this morning? A book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There is hope for us. Kaylee, can you send uh, Wendy and the kids in when you get a sec? Are you living in that hope? And it is so easy this morning as we sit here together surrounded by everybody that is thinking the exact same thing, everybody that's on the same page saying, yes, I am living in the hope of Jesus. What could possibly go wrong? But we're not talking about just living in that hope this morning. We are not just talking about living in that hope when you walk into these four walls. We are talking about living in that hope when you leave here, when you find yourself in that broken, fearful, anxious situation. That is when we live in that hope. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through where that hope exists in your marriage, in your relationships, in your parenting, in your personal life, in the decisions that you make that impact how you work, how you live. Do you embrace this truth that your heavenly father is pleased to give you the kingdom of heaven? That you have hope because of what he has done. A book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What, what does that say? What, is, what does that mean to you? And, and it's so easy to, to look at these things and say, yeah, let's get to that list of names. I cannot tell you how many times I have read this chapter in the book of Matthew and skipped over that verse. 
<laughs> this morning, as we move from this time, my, my prayer is that we, we come to a time of, of recognizing the hope that we have, recognizing the grace, the rescue that we have in Jesus Christ. The kids have put together a parade for us this morning, <laughs> and they are going to be sharing that. <laughs> So I've shared before how as a pastor, there's always a challenge in addressing things, specific expectations that are going to be happening on, on a certain day. And, and Palm Sunday is always one of those things. Do, you, do we preach the, the typical Palm Sunday sermon that, that leads us into our, our Easter Sunday and Thankfully, when I found out that this was the, uh, <laughs> the, the children's church topic, it, it kind of gave me a little bit of an out this week. So <laughs> I was like, hey, this works just fine. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you have come in the name of the Lord. That you aren't just a God who, who set events in motion and left us to our own devices, but you are a God who is with us. Who is with us in the midst of the struggle, who is with us in, in valleys and the mountaintops, God. Lord, as we prepare to go out from this this place as we prepare to go out into the week in which you have called us, Lord, we ask that you would, would open our eyes to see the divine appointments that you have laid out before us, the, the lives that you have called us to reflect your love into. Heavenly Father, we ask and actively seek out your best, not just for ourselves, but for those that you love. Heavenly Father, I pray blessing that you would shine your face upon your people, that you would bring peace, that you would bring rest, that you would bring provision. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. 
Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 